Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Health with the Healthy Attorney. I'm your host, Sophia N.S. Blair, author, attorney, and avid health advocate. Let's get started. On today's episode, we'd like to welcome Melba Pearson. She is the new Director of Policy Programs at the Center for the Administration of Justice. She has an impressive blog at melbapearsonesquire.com, and she was the progressive candidate for Miami-Dade State Attorney in August of 2020. Welcome, Melba. Thank you, Sophia. I'm looking forward to our discussion. So am I. I would like to share something with you, and then we can use that as the base to discuss justice and the impact that individuals can have on bringing certain matters into action. In November 15, 2017, there was a Florida Bar News article. In the article, a woman described being raped at the age of 10 years old by a 20-year-old church member and being forced to marry her rapist at 11 years old. After hearing the story, Senator Perry Thurston Jr. asked the then Florida law section leader of the Florida Bar to propose the bill. The outcome was Senate Bill 140, which was signed into law on March 23rd, 2018, and is now codified in Section 741.04 of the Florida Statutes. The law now requires a person to be at least 17 years old and the intended spouse to be no older than 19 years old before a marriage license can be issued to a minor. There's also an affidavit requirement. In the 2017 article, before the new law came into be, it was noted that 1,828 licenses were issued to minors from 2012 to 2017, and at least eight licenses issued where one party was between the ages of 10 and 14 years old. And adults from 18 to 94 years old were the marrying spouses of the minor. The problem also noted in the article was that prosecution could not be made against the adult spouses because parents were actually signing the marriage license for the children. So because of the new law, there is a requirement that minors be at least 17 years old, which now helps to bring justice or helps to prevent minors that were being married at 16 and younger from being in, in such situations. How do you think that others can bring justice about based on whatever situations they are dealing with? So that's a really good question, Sophia. And, you know, every journey starts with a single step. That's one of those old quotes that always ring true. And if you start from a place of a personal experience, so how many uh, mothers who lost children or you think about John Walsh, whatever you may think about him, um, you know, he started America's Most Wanted as a result of losing his son to homicide, right? So he was able to bring closure to many families uh, who were seeking the person that harmed their loved ones and wasn't able to do so. But America's Most Wanted put those pictures in everyone's living room across the country and even internationally in some cases. So 
you know, that's like sort of a bigger example of somebody with means and money. But another example is the March for Our Lives and all the young people who were traumatized after losing friends and loved ones at the mass shooting at Parkland uh, here in Broward County, those kids went through this horrible experience and turned themselves into a legislative force where they have been advocating for stronger uh, gun laws across the country. They've been taking on the National Rifle Association. They're running for office. They created this network to uplift and give voice to those suffering as a result of gun violence and really making sure that laws are changed around it. And at least, uh, which of course begins with awareness, right? Because if you don't know that there's a problem, like the example you started off with, you know, the average person would never think that an 11 year old and like a 94 year old could get married. It just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't cross your mind. You'd be like, dude, that's gross, right? But it happens, you know, under the cover of, religion and things like that. So until these problems are dragged into the light, you can't move forward with making change. So that's why it's super important if you have an issue that you're passionate about, that you make yourself that subject matter expert, you educate others, you educate lawmakers, and then you can see the change that you really want to see in your community. That is an excellent point. That is an excellent point. So from the standpoint of an individual, if I don't have the means like uh, Mr. Walsh, or I don't have the numbers like the students from Parkland, how do I go about getting my issue at the forefront of legislatures and uh, people who have the authority and the power to make the changes that I want to see? So there are a number of different ways. First off, um, <laughs> if Facebook, the Facebook down situation that we had in the last couple of weeks didn't teach us anything is how reliant we've all become on social media and social media platforms to get our messages out there, to move our businesses forward, to raise awareness. So you may not have like 10,000 followers or whatever the case may be, but that can't, doesn't have to stop you from doing a Facebook Live or an Instagram Live about a particular issue. Um, so that's one way to raise awareness. And then you can tag your lawmakers because every legislator has a social media presence, right? They've got a Twitter handle, they've got it, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. So you can tag them in your messages to uplift a particular issue. Also, the legislators all have office hours. Um, they all have times that they're in district. So you can set up meetings with them to be able to have these discussions and raise awareness around a particular issue. Um, you may not get to meet with the legislator directly. You may end up meeting with their uh, chief of staff or their legislative aide around a particular issue, but they still will take a meeting with you to discuss a particular concern and you can just keep following up in the hopes that they will create legislation around it and then it can be passed at the next legislative session. But also know that this is not a short-term process, right? Like in this instance, because it was so egregious, the instance with regards to the underage marriages, it happened in a pretty quick time frame, as in a year. But oftentimes you will see bills go up two and three and four legislative sessions in a row before they end up being passed. So usually 
there's that quick response when it has to do with, you know, for instance, right after Parkland, yeah, we saw a ton of uh, laws around school safety fly through the legislature because it was such a egregious act that was at the forefront of everyone's minds. But on other issues that could be controversial um, or at least perceived to be controversial, sometimes it's a longer process. So I just want people to keep that in mind and not think, oh, well, I talked to my legislator once and nothing resulted from it, so that's it. It has to be constant, sustained pressure. And when we talk about this constant, sustained pressure, are we talking about every week, every month? Uh, what, what's the, what is the right amount of pressure or, or time that we need to apply to this situation before we can see change? Well, it's, unfortunately, this is one of those situations where it depends, right? It depends what the political climate is. It depends what the issue is. Um, and also, it depends when elections are, right? Because you will find lawmakers may be more responsive around certain issues when they're running, um, as opposed to in the middle of the election cycle where, you know, things are kind of quiet. So those are some of the things to keep in mind. When it comes to pressure, First, you know, you have that initial discussion with them. And well, first of all, let me back up for a second. You have to have a firm grasp of your issue, right? So, and understand what your asks are. What are you asking your legislator to do? So in the instance of, let's say, uh, you know, looking at March for Our Lives, their goal is to number one, put more resources in the community to address and prevent gun violence. But they also want to see, you know, more of the closing of, various loopholes when it comes to being able to purchase firearms, um, greater oversight when it comes to people uh, who are dealing with mental health issues, having access to, to, to firearms, right? And I'm not opining whether they're right or wrong or indifferent. I'm just kind of listing off or paraphrasing because I don't represent them or anything like that, but sort of paraphrasing you know, many of the things that they talk about in the public sphere. So they have really clear, when you go on their website, they have very clear bullet points of what they expect of every legislator and what they want to move forward. So you have to have a clear vision of what you want to see in order to be able to, to effectively communicate that and then advocate for change. Um, so when it comes to that, you have to make sure that you're solid on the issue, you understand what you're asking for, you're understanding somewhat of the universe of what's possible, right? Because let's say if March for Our Lives came out and said, we wanna see a complete ban of firearms in the United States, that's not a politically tenable position, right? Like that, that's just a reality. That's never going to happen in the United States. So they had to be realistic in what they were asking for. Not to say you can't aim high, but you also have to be realistic about what can be accomplished and when. So, you know, you make yourself a subject matter expert, you understand what you're asking for, and you have clear bullet points of what you're asking for. You'll understand what's reasonable or what's you know, uh, what is the possibility in that scenario? And then if possible, you try to find other like-minded people who have the same concern. So, you know, for instance, if it's, you know, uh, mothers that have lost, you know, children to violence, if you have a support group, you would want to get the members of your support group to go with you to make meetings with the legislator so that they can see there's a number of people that care about this particular issue. And you would do, once you have that meeting, your follow-up may be monthly, right? So you might be sending a monthly email to your legislator or to the chief of staff, whoever the person is that is assisting you in this process. 
And then if you're seeing an entire legislative session go by and nothing happened, well, maybe you have to take a different tactic. Maybe you need to reach out to other legislators. Maybe you need to show up at a town hall that the legislator is doing and bring up the issue in a public forum. So that way now it's public discussion, more people are aware of it, and then that's more pressure and more people applying pressure around that particular issue. Wow, these, these are all great points. In speaking to that, the aspect of being an expert and presenting the information, is it important to research and provide numbers? For example, in the 2017 article where they talked about you know, in the last five years, 1,828 licenses were issued to minors. How, how important it is, is it to have that kind of historical data when you're presenting your issue? Listen, you, you can't fix what you don't measure, right? And I firmly believe that, you know, Google is one of the best gifts we've been given, right? So you need to go on Google and research or you may have to you know, go to your local clerk's office and do a little bit of research, but it doesn't have to be super deep. If you're able to articulate the scope of the problem, then you are on the right track. And I think in this particular case with um, the, 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 the child that was you know, sexually assaulted, her story alone is so powerful, so impactful that the legislator you know, in this instance, being, you know, Perry Thurston was able to realize that this, even if it's happening to one person, this is terrible, but he was able to dispatch his staff to probably do the research around this issue to understand the scope and how, how widely, uh, how widely this problem exists, how widespread this problem is. So even though you should come in prepared with numbers and all of that, if you have a really, um, a really powerful story, and a, a lot of people do and don't realize it, right? They're kind of like, well, it's just me and I'm not a celebrity or whatever. You know, you think about the, for instance, Gabby Petito, but then, yeah, okay, she had hundreds of thousand followers, whatever, and that's why her case got attention. But you also think about someone like Maya Marcano, who also lost her life around the same time that this was, you know, that the search was going on for Gabby Petito. Um, and, you know, her family were the ones that really brought the story to the forefront. And there were so many disturbing aspects that now more and more people are learning about it and are, are starting to raise their voices around the inequities and how uh, missing people are treated, especially based on race and how the media sort of covers these things. So even though Maya Marcano in and of herself wasn't, you know, wealthy or anything like that, they didn't have like a ton of resources. They've been able to now strategically get their message out there just by, again, just staying on top of it and talking to the media, using social media and, you know, leveraging whatever they can to get the message out there. That's a great point again. And in touching on that, how important is it to know, to be aware of the local elections that are happening in your, in your district versus waiting on uh, the four-year cycle and uh, general election? Yeah. So for instance, uh, I live in Miami Beach. It's 2021 and we have municipal elections. 
our mayors on the ballot, our members of our city commission are on the ballot, but you'd never think that in an odd year that there'd be elections. So that's why it's super important for you to be aware of these cycles, because if not, elections will just pass you by. <laughs> and a lot of these local officials have way more impact on your day-to-day -day life than even the president or your senator. Not saying that they don't play a role and that their role isn't super important, but when it comes to things like who your police chief is, um, how much funding your school gets, uh, what, whether or not there's going to be a mask mandate in your school, right? Like things, all of these things, that's your local school board, that's your city commission, your county commission, you know, that's your mayor. Uh, and, and these are all seats that don't always go on that four year cycle or even that two year cycle of that ends up following Congress people like that. So you've got to, when you see something come in the mail, you've got to read it. You've got to go on your city or county's website and get an understanding of who represents you where and what their terms are and when their elections are. Um, you know, you can rest assured that just about every, every two years, you're going to have an election of some sort. So make sure that you are vigilant and you educate yourself. Um, the one good thing that came out of the pandemic is now that Many of these town halls, community forums, candidate forums are online. They're being live streamed on YouTube. They're being live streamed on Facebook. So you can sit in the comfort of your own home and still learn more about the candidates as opposed to pre-pandemic days. You physically probably have to go to the local church or community center. But either way, that's the only way you're going to learn about these candidates is to go to their websites, learn about their platforms, and listen to them speak about the various issues uh, in these public forums. And don't be afraid to ask them questions. And once they're elected, make sure to hold them accountable for the promises that they've made. Because at the end of the day, an elected official is a public servant. And you use the term, you know, you serve the public. That's what a public servant is supposed to do. And you also serve at the pleasure of the public. And if you, us, the voting public, does not like what our lawmakers are doing, we have an opportunity, depending on the seat, every two to four years to elect someone else. You know, so, and if worse comes to worse and you don't see candidates that you like, you know what, don't be afraid to run for office because at least you can bring awareness around the issues that are important to you. I mean, you see people out here running on foolishness, you know, and if you, especially if you have an impactful story, you know, that's something that you run on. You think about someone like Lucy McBath, who lost her son. Folks may remember the loud music case. Um, unfortunately, his name is not coming to me right now. I believe his, his name is Jordan. But uh, basically, this was in Jacksonville, where he was with his friends. The music oh, was the loud. gas station, correct? Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, a, a white man, you know, shot at him and his friends and killed him. So mm -hmm. Lucy McBath, after suffering that loss, you know, used that as fuel to run for office. Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, uh, even though she was not successful, she ran for county commission in August of 2020, again, to bring to light issues around gun violence and the lack of resources in communities. So, you know, you can use your personal story as, as fuel to raise awareness and to make and fight for change. And when I said earlier that people run for fool on foolishness, some people would be running on something like, well, uh, code enforcement, 
you know, gave me a, a summons or, you know, I was fined about something on my property. I think that that's, you know, wrong. And so I'm going to run because I want to change that. Right. Like, like you'll see people run on some weird stuff and right. nine times out of 10, your situation may actually be something that can impact so many people positively. So don't be afraid. Don't self deselect and say, my story isn't powerful enough or my voice can't be heard because your voice is exactly what people may need to hear in a particular situation. And sometimes just running alone and garnering whatever support or momentum that you garner from running can also be the application of pressure on some of these incumbent um, individuals that have been seated for years and years and not really doing much for the community they represent. Absolutely. I mean, you've seen that, especially in prosecutors' races, um, not even just necessarily talking about my race, but when you look nationally, how many of these elected prosecutors have been in office 20-something years, 30-something years, and they finally get challenged, especially by someone progressive, suddenly you'll see them start to implement policies that are more progressive in nature. They'll start making promises that are more progressive in nature because they want to hold on to power. They want to hold on to their seat. So just the mere fact of running can shine a light on the incumbent's record and it forces them to have to answer to it. And it will may force people to, you know, even though they may still win, people are going to look at them differently. And now four years later, they're like, okay, you said you were going to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Now I'm actually going to keep an eye on this because wow, a lot of bad things were really brought to light during the course of the, the prior election, you know? So it definitely is a way to get the message out there as well as a, a measure of accountability. That's what we have elections for. You know, it's basically a job interview every four years. And should you keep your job, you know, or job uh, performance review, you know? Absolutely. Are there any final points you want to make on this topic? All I want to say is that, you know, your voice matters and so does your vote. So make sure to educate yourself on issues, you know, um, do your own research. And I know it's a pain. We have a million things going on. I mean, life, right? But your vote is so important as a general premise. You know, you shouldn't just like throw it away and just, okay, whoever, or I'm just going to vote based on last name, or I'm just going to vote based on party. You know, not to say that there are instances where that might not be okay, but just know who you're voting for, right? Because sometimes the person that, you know, the name that's there may not have been serving your community well, even though they have a similar last name to yours or they're with your party. So just make sure to do your homework and each one teach one. Like, Maybe in a family, you designate one person who does that research and educates the rest of the family as to the pros and cons of the different candidates, right? But we just have to make sure to be very educated when it comes to the choices we're making because it impacts our day-to-day -day lives and our ability to make change. Excellent. On your Melba Pearson ESQ.com blog, there's a quote that I would like to share with everyone. The goal is not to ignore the laws of the state of Florida. That is not the point. But you also have to be strategic. You have to use the laws and be strategic to make sure that you're achieving justice. Melba, thank you so much for your quote and for your continued service. Thank you, Sophia. It was just great to be able to chat with you and 
hopefully folks got some good takeaways that they can use to empower themselves and their communities to be the change and get the change that they want to see.